Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast, brought to you by Rocket Agency. I'm your host, James Lawrence. Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast. Today, I'm joined by Kieran Crone. Kieran, great to have you on the pod. James, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invite. We've, we've talked about it for a while, and we've finally managed to squeeze some time into your, your busy calendar. So, Kieran's currently senior sales manager at HubSpot. He's been at HubSpot for over seven years now. Previously worked as principal channel partner manager, as well as senior partner acquisition roles at, at HubSpot. Today, we're going to be digging deep into customer retention, why that is such an important topic and theme for listeners to the pod. But yeah, Kieran, I think it'd just be good to, before we jump into it, just to hear a little bit of your backstory in terms of HubSpot. It's been quite a journey. I think we probably crossed paths, I don't know, four or five years ago now, and you've, you're have you a bit of a rock star. You're in the, um, is it the President's Club, the Chairman's Club. What's the, uh, what's the club called? Oh, there's a few. We've got a President's Club, we've got Founders Club, all the clubs. Which puts put you in kind of the top echelon, I guess, of performers at HubSpot over the last couple of years. So you'll be modest and won't admit that, but on your LinkedIn, I'm always seeing you being flown somewhere in the world by HubSpot based on smashing it. So yeah, it'd be just good to hear about your journey through the organization. Yeah, sure. So the funny thing was when I started interviewing at HubSpot, I had no idea that I was going to be moving into the partner space. So my history prior to HubSpot was in direct sales, both kind of like inside and outside sales. Yeah. So I kind of got thrown into it after I accepted the job. Uh, Actually turned out to be probably one of the best surprises in, in my life. I didn't know anything about channel sales, but I guess kind of fast forward, what is it, like seven years later after working in the channel for about five and a half years. Yeah, it was it was a, just a massive opportunity to really get to learn a lot about businesses, to understand go-to-markets, to help partners. Obviously, like it was great working with, with Rocket and we did a lot of work together. So yeah, I kind of started off in the acquisition space. HubSpot did kind of have the role combined together. So we were working on identifying good fit partners, bringing them onto the partner program, onboarding them, enabling them, and then working with them to help them to bring customers onto HubSpot. They then split that role into two separate roles because it was effectively an acquisition and more of a kind of farming role. Did that for a while and then went back to being a channel account manager, just working purely with partners. And then, yeah, I've kind of made the leap into uh, direct sales leadership about, about a year and a half ago. Yeah. And HubSpot itself has grown massively, right, in, in Sydney or in Australia since that since that time when you started? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I was employee number 22 in Australia when we started, yeah. when I started, sorry. And I think now we're probably up to about 100, 150-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Huge growth worldwide. And just thought, good to get you onto the pod on this topic because you kind of straddle a whole bunch of different areas, I think, from the perspective of working in sales and this topic touches sales, this topic touches marketing. You're also, you've dealt with marketers kind of through so much of your time at HubSpot. HubSpot itself is a platform that helps businesses solve this problem or get get better at working towards this problem. And HubSpot itself is almost a case study in how to do this stuff well. So just felt there was such a convergence of so many different factors coming together that just made sense. First of all, the why, like why is customer attention important? I think it's probably not as sexy a topic as it as it probably should be. Yeah, you're, you're dead right about that. I think the thing that always fascinates me is when I speak to marketers and businesses and just all the content you kind of see coming out through LinkedIn, by and large, a lot of it is around customer acquisition, right? How do we bring more customers in? How do we bring in new business? How do we generate pipeline from prospects? I think the big opportunity for marketers is how we tap into revenue from existing customers 
particularly like businesses that have been with you for a while because retention rates are high, there's high kind of service or product adoption. Generally, it's going to be much, much easier to have a conversation with one of those customers than it is to bring on a new customer. And I think statistically, it's about five times more cost effective to win business from an existing customer than it is to bring on net new. So like when you think about the economics of it, it just makes total sense. It's yeah, it's just always puzzled me a little bit why that is the case, why there's this kind of obsession about new and sort of less of a focus on the existing. I think, yeah, and we're all guilty of it, right? It's kind of in our agency, we're talking clicks, impressions, cost per lead, cost per acquisition, and every month it's kind of moved forward and get more of those customers. And I was reading up prior to this pod and it was kind of interesting. HubSpot was an example of a business doing it really, really well. But yeah, that stat that it's literally five times cheaper to retain an existing customer or client than it is to land a new one. Also far more profitable to retain an existing client, like almost regardless of your business model, that onboarding phase is just expensive. And it's harder to, if you're in a business where you've kind of got humans having to close off a deal, putting a, increasing a scope to an existing client is always a better win rate than going off to people that haven't transacted with you before, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The win rates are always going to be higher because there's an existing relationship. There's trust with the brand. So you're not starting that from scratch. Yeah. So what do you reckon? Like if this doesn't, this accountability for this doesn't always sit within marketing, but I think in a lot of businesses it does. I'm a marketer. I'm busy. I've got trying to do SEO. I'm trying to do Google ads. I'm trying to get my um, email marketing going. How, How do I go about improving this number or even kind of understanding what it is? I think it, probably firstly starts with making sure that you've got you've got the right systems in place to start to segment your database. Obviously like HubSpot's a CRM, so I might be a little bit biased when it comes to that, but sort of what- It I'm comes the shameless, uh, the shameless product, product plug. <laughs> yeah, look, whether it's HubSpot or any other CRM, I think just the most important thing is you have a database, not just any database, but one that's clean and that's accurate and that's up to date. That's obviously the most important thing. So making sure that you have your customers stored and segmented and kind of when I say segmentation, kind of breaking them up into different lists. So that could be based off what products or service they've purchased recently. When did they last purchase? What's the value of that, that customer kind of thinking about it from that lens and then kind of also understanding sort of what they're, demographics are their kind of buyer behaviors their preferences those types of things because ultimately like marketing is all about context right and so you want to deliver the right message to the right person at the right time and if you have that data it allows you to start to kind of deliver on those three things 100 percent. and something i see businesses kind of failing at one that they, they, they actually don't have the number they don't know what that churn rate is or it's not sitting front and center in the organization so they actually can measure against you know the number they're trying to improve. Second one I kind of struggle with is accountability because obviously churn can be impacted by so many different things. It's like if sales team on board average quality customers or the market, the actual leads coming in are pretty average quality from the very instance, you're going to churn higher than if you bring in high quality, good fit customers and clients. Customer service, client services teams obviously play a massive role in the actual delivery of whatever your product or service is. Um, so I think often that responsibility for that for churn within an organization doesn't sit anywhere, right? And I think it's really important that, first of all, you're measuring it. And second of all, someone is accountable for it. And obviously, they'll have to probably pull in various stakeholders to improve it. Yeah, no, you, you're dead, dead right. But I think that that's probably why we've seen 
a pretty massive rise in in revenue operations, right? Like RevOps is one of the fastest growing kind of role titles or professions in in the space that we we play because you know without a sort of RevOps function that sort of sits over the top of marketing, sales, and service, then there is no responsibility, accountability. People just pointing fingers at each other, and I think that RevOps function, which is driven by leadership, is a really key part of running a successful business. I mean. Not every small business is going to have the time or the resource or money to invest in that. But I think that we're seeing it more and more. It's it's definitely like a space that's going to continue to grow in the future. Yeah, it's a good point. Can you maybe just talk a little bit more about it for listeners that aren't as familiar with the function? Yeah, sure. In terms of how I see RevOps, like I mentioned, it's, it's a sort of a layer of the business that does sit over the top of, but in a way, combine or align those different parts of a business. Probably the biggest challenge that we see with most companies is there's a lack of alignment between firstly marketing and sales, and then sales and their kind of service or delivery team. So having everyone on the same page aligned with a common objective, which is growth and revenue for the business, retention, whatever those different metrics might be, it really just means that we're all working together as opposed to working in different silos. Yeah, classic kind of sales and marketing misalignment, right? Definitely. Good point. And we're talk- talking before we started recording, we've obviously got very different businesses represented by listeners to the pod. We've got marketers working in businesses that might be small professional service firms or reasonably large professional services firms that might themselves not have a huge number of customers or clients. And then we'll have listeners that might be running an e-commerce business or a SaaS business where there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of customers. So I guess like Customer retention, like what are those themes or pillars that you think just hold true regardless of the size of your business? And then what are some of those things that become a bit different when you start talking about customer lists that are just so vast that you can't really have a handle on each individual customer? I think the things that remain consistent really come back to my point before around like data and segmentation. So whether you've got, you know, a hundred customers or a hundred thousand, you still need to know your customer, right? And the ability to segment, it's not hard, like any business can do it today. I think that kind of understanding purchase history, previous behaviors, previous conversations, all those things just allow you to deliver more contextual messaging to your customers. I think like outside of that, I mean, when you kind of get to 100,000 and kind of beyond, like these kind of numbers, that's where using a mixture of automation, but human intervention is going to be important to drive scale because, you know, there's no way you can be speaking to 100,000 customers in any kind of meaningful way. But I think that's what's exciting about marketing is like the more that you have profiled those customers, the more that you've segmented them allows you to just make sure you're driving the right message. And as your customers are engaging with marketing comms, you can then start to feed that information, those insights back to your sales, or your account management team. So if we're finding higher engagement from this segment, we can start to like drive more human intervention. We can start to have more meetings. We can start to score leads. But that's where things start to get pretty interesting. Yeah. And just practically, like, I'd be keen to jump into things like loyalty programs and referral programs, like what you're seeing, what's working and what's not working out there. What's what's important there is to understand sort of how happy are our customers? Like, do we have any way of like surveying them, whether it's through NPS, customer satisfaction. If you're a smaller business, you might be able to do that sort of one-to-one through like an account management team. But do you have a process 
and an ability to record that feedback and do something with it. It's not just about getting the feedback, but taking action off the back of it. And it's not all good. Like I'm sure there's bad as well, right? Like no, no business is perfect. So instead of like reactively waiting for customers to put their hand up or call in and say, I want to leave, or like that's the worst result in that churn, proactively getting on the front foot and taking action, right? And then sort of off the back of that, feedback, you can start to improve your processes when it comes to account management, service delivery, those different types of things. And what's the the HubSpot outlook at the moment with NPS? Because NPS was obviously all the rage, I guess, became popularized probably around a decade ago. There's probably been some groundswell against it at some level. I think some people doubting whether the popularization has impacted the original theory behind it. And I think just a saturation, right, where you kind of engage with any business, you buy a product and then suddenly before you've even received it, you've got your NPS survey. Like is HubSpot still kind of locked in with NPS as being the best kind of approach or the best tool to, to kind of get that sentiment out on scale or are there other approaches as well? I mean, it's, there's definitely like more than one way to skin a cat. I think NPS is still there. We, we still survey all of our customers, not to say that they all respond, right? Because okay. people get a lot of these, but yeah, we still use NPS a lot of HubSpot. We also look at other ways of monitoring satisfaction outside of them filling out a survey. So this is probably more relevant to like software-based companies or businesses that have applications, but an example might be, you know, measuring adoption usage of the platform and the tools where you can see like logins, those kind of things like user behavior yeah. in terms of application. Probably also you could start to look at those things in terms of your website, because I think like my belief here is like your website, again, getting back to the theme of this, shouldn't just be there from a lead generation perspective, but should also be there to nurture and engage existing customers. So you're keeping a brand front of mind. You can start to look at how your customers are interacting with your website. Right. And so all these kind of things, all these, I guess, signals can be used to understand engagement as well. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. And the HBR article that I was reading leading into this pod cited HubSpot's a long time ago now, but HubSpot during the kind of economic crisis in the States where basically the economy you know, was going south very quickly and HubSpot started to look very deeply into the way that its customers were interacting with different features and functions within the software and using that to then proactively go out to those users to say, you know, to feed them information, to kind of arm them to get better results from that, whether mm. the features or software that they weren't necessarily using, which I think that's right. Like it's really difficult to get sentiment. I think whether you're a small business or a large one, NPS can be a bit of a blunt instrument, but if there's no other way of doing it, then what do you do? Smaller business like Rocket, then we have the benefit of it being able to actually sit down face-to-face -face and survey customers, right? But you can't do that if you're, you're IKEA. Yeah, exactly. I think the other thing I'd add to that, James, would be when a customer signs on, they have something they're looking to achieve. They have an outcome that should generally be tied to some sort of metric within the business. So if you're identifying and agreeing on that, that impact and that metric, when the customer goes through, you know, a level of onboarding and service delivery and account management, there should be an ability to measure that impact over time, right? So like that is another way to generally look at satisfaction without the customer even telling you, because if they've achieved the outcomes they set out to in the first place, yeah, should be pretty happy. Yeah, for right. I think some good reading for anyone that's interested in this topic is Never Lose a Customer Again, the Joey Coleman book. And that's definitely one of the key kind of principles there, right? Is to identify that North Star metric that you just yeah. keep referring back to because that's why, you know, whatever the, the engagement is about, 
that's the that's the reason why the transaction happened in the first instance. In terms of referral programs and loyalty programs, what kind of what are you seeing out there? Yeah, I think um, I've seen it on a couple of different levels. When it comes to loyalty, I think there's a few ways to look at it. So there's obviously like financial incentives that you could start to offer customers, particularly from a referral perspective. You know, you could offer, I've seen from a service perspective, like the ability to uh, offer a customer a kind of discount on their renewal or some sort of financial reward for them to refer customers in. The reality is if you've got really happy customers and they're delighted with what they're getting from you as a business, they shouldn't need to be incentivized because they're happy. They've got exactly what they set out to achieve. And that's again, where that sort of understanding and, and asking the question and taking action at the right time is, is going to be important. In terms of loyalty, again, I think that kind of comes back to what I spoke about before, like making sure you're having conversations and check-ins with your customers to know that, you know, that North Star metric that you agreed on has been achieved. It comes in different shapes and sizes, right? You see it happen a lot with like e-commerce businesses that kind of give like product-based discounts. Really just depends on the kind of business you're in. Yeah, that's it. Loyalty programs definitely have been shown to help with retention right it's one of those things kind of almost built the starbucks brand in the states was the once that that punch card kind of came in and then digitalizing it has kind of been seen as just so fundamental to the growth of that brand which is kind of interesting yeah i mean you look at so many businesses have tried to kind of gamify loyalty in terms of like status and points you know even at hubspot we have like tiering for our partners as well there's rewards as they go through these different cycles of of that that tiering status so I think gamification is a really interesting concept that not a lot of businesses have adopted. Obviously, you need to put a bit of thought and strategy behind what that looks like in reality. But yeah, people get behind it. People love, you know, status upgrades through Qantas and flights and people like it does. It does drive repeat yeah. purchases. Right? Yeah, definitely. 100%. And just in terms of data, like I know you opened it up with, but any clever ways or any observations around how businesses are using data to kind of get richer insights into customer base databases and to then use that data to aid retention i think one thing that's quite important is thinking about how from a systems perspective if you have say crm like a marketing crm over here have that connected to your finance system or your kind of accounting which is kind of your system of record from a monetary perspective so I mean, like invoicing and billing, if that's done out of, say, like a zero or a QuickBooks, whatever that might be, that should feed back into your CRM. So you can actually have a bi-directional flow of information to be able to update how much the customer has spent in the past, the services they've engaged previously. I think that kind of stuff is quite important. And that's usually a big disconnect for most businesses is not having those different tools or systems talking to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Nice one. That's a good one. And then in terms of inactive customers, I think that's an area of untapped value for lots of businesses. So if we actually have churned a customer, using a tool like HubSpot, like what do you, what, what's working to get people back in and engaging with a brand? I think you firstly uh, need to have a, a process in place when a customer does churn to understand the reasons for churning. So whether that's some sort of like offboarding or like customer interview or feedback that's received from that, that person when they leave to really understand the reason why they've left, because based on that reason, I mean, that's going to dictate how you're going to approach them and have another conversation in the past. If it was around, again, like a software company, your product wasn't really up to scratch, that can help you to inform 
inform further development from a kind of like programmatic encoding perspective. Yeah. If it was around objectives not being achieved in the right timeline, maybe you go back to the drawing boards to understand, are we setting the right expectations? So there's a bunch of different things, but I think like once you, like if you capture that information, it really helps you to uh, drive the conversation moving forward with context. Yeah. And we'll often say if we're running email campaigns, particularly if someone hasn't used a database for a while, existing customers are the richest territory to play. But then often that close second is churned lapsed clients because not not all clients, customers leave for bad reasons, right? It's timing, it's change of job, it's change of circumstance. So often there's very rich data available to businesses that simply just aren't being used. Nice one, mate. Well, I think it's been a really good chat definitely interesting kind of the intersection i think of technology marketing sales revenue but i think just the importance of first of all measuring it second of all being accountable for it and third understanding why it's happening probably bringing those three together pretty quickly and once you've got those three things happening then you can actually start you know doing practical things to try to bring that that rate down right or to keep the retention rate up always ask this piece of piece of advice this question so What's the best piece of career advice you'd give to a marketer in Australia? I would say be able to validate the work that you're doing. Uh, Probably the most frustrating thing I hear with marketers is that their work gets questioned a lot by their sales team, by their direct report, by their CEOs. So kind of have the ability to kind of use data to say, this is me proving the worth of my work that's probably the number one is to have the right kind of systems in place so you can show the report look at the data and say this is what i'm doing this these are the outcomes i'm driving it's a good one mate yeah f- follow the money <laughs> exactly <laughs> kieran thanks for coming onto the pod thanks a lot james appreciate thanks. it thanks mate thanks for listening to the smarter marketer podcast stay up to date about new episodes on linkedin and instagram by searching for smarter marketer podcast You can purchase your own copy of Smarter Marketer via the Amazon website. And if you want a second opinion about your business's approach to digital marketing, send me an email, jamesl at rocketagency.com.au or visit the rocketagency.com.au website. Thanks for your time.